If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6? The book of Galatians chapter 6 this morning as we pick up where we left off last week in verses 14 and 15. Now we're nearing the end of this wonderful letter that Paul wrote so many years ago, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, to write to these various churches in this region called and known as Galatia. And so these Galatians were Gentile, primarily Gentile Christians, meaning that they were not of Jewish descent. They were not Israelites. They were not Jewish in their ethnicity. They were of other ethnic groups. And they were hearing the gospel and that the apostle Paul preached the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary and died and was buried and arose from the grave and ascended to heaven and will soon return. And he called upon them, as we always do in the gospel preaching, to repent from sin and trust and believe and depend upon Christ alone to bring you into an eternal and peaceful relationship with your creator God. And some believed among these different towns and villages. And so local churches were formed. And after the apostle Paul and his missionary team went on into other frontiers, preaching the gospel and establishing other local churches, these men that came from Jerusalem, these Jews, who called themselves Christians, but they were false brothers. We know that from chapter 2 when he says that these false brothers came in and they were seeking to spy out the liberty that they had, says in chapter 2, verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, they came and preached a false gospel. They were preaching that a person cannot be righteous in the sight of God and therefore cannot be justified or accepted in the sight of God. On the, the only way that that could happen, they said, was if you would become obedient to the law that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses. So God gave the people of Israel a law. Remember that? On Mount Sinai. And they then began to practice that law. But what happened from the giving of the law until this time was the people began to use the law in a, in a manner that it was never intended for them to use. Namely, they turned the law that was given so that they would understand that they were sinners in need of a Savior and also to understand the moral character of God and to understand what the, what, what God expected in, in terms of their ethical lives and their moral lives, what's right and wrong. But they turned it and began to use it as a ladder of personal performance to climb up through self-effort, to a place, they hoped, where they would earn justification. They would earn their right to be accepted by God and to be saved. And of course, this is a false message. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so in chapters 1 and 2, the apostle gives a great defense of his apostolic authority to speak on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ himself, and establish Christian doctrine in these local churches. He takes those two chapters, the first two, to defend his apostolic authority among these churches that he, by the way, was instrumental in founding. Then in chapters 3 and 4, as we have learned, he gives a clear defense of the great historical doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is exactly, beloved, what happened in the Protestant Reformation of the 15 and 1600s. What happened that we today, this church is a Protestant church. And the reason that we are is because we hold to that historic confession and biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone. Namely this, that a person is made righteous and acceptable in the sight of God, not on the basis of their personal performance, but on the basis of the work of Christ. That God has acted in grace in and through the person of Jesus Christ to justify and to save eternally everyone who put their trust in Him. And so in chapters 3 and 4, he defends that very clearly. He says, for example, even at the end of chapter 2, And verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Listen, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he establishes in chapter 3 and 4 what that looks like. And he defends that great doctrine that we hold to here even today. And then in chapters 5 and 6, where we find ourselves this morning in chapter 6, he gives this outworking of this liberated life. If you are set free in Christ, then how do you live the Christian life? And he takes chapters 5 and 6 to essentially answer that question. And it's not according to the letter of the law, but it is according to the power of God, the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. And that's the difference. And that's what we've been learning. Now, when we get to this ending in chapter 6, where we find ourselves... We're actually at this final section in the letter. And he has taught them very clearly about the Spirit and how we must sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Because if we sow to the flesh, verse 8, we will reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. And then he encourages us in verse 9 not to grow weary in doing good. Because there is coming a, a, a season of reaping. If we do not give up. And so then he says let us do good. Let us continue to pursue righteousness and holiness and godliness and purity of life. Let us continue to do that because it's profitable for us and it brings glory to God. And then in verse 11. Chapter 6 verse 11. We find these words. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And we've talked about that. How Paul gave this signature as it were of his own. From his own hand. 
to let everyone know that this, in fact, was from the Apostle Paul. And, and if you remember with me, the apostles were given authority by Christ himself to speak with the authority of Christ and establish Christian doctrine. Nobody else was given that authority but the apostles themselves. And he is one of those apostles. And so he writes to validate the reality here that he is the author of the letter. And then he says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so this was two weeks ago. We, we had this message where the title was the troublemakers exposed. It's one final exposure of the agenda and the motivations of these troublemakers. One final time at the end of the letter to just say, here it is, look at them, look at what their agenda is, look at what their motivation is. And he says, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They were all about outward appearances. They were all about wanting people to like them based on what they did or didn't do. And they did certain things and did not do certain things. Not necessarily from a motivation of the heart that is oriented toward God and a love for Him. But they did it because they loved themselves and wanted people to make much of them. And so he says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would put this pressure on you, force you to be circumcised. And the second motivation is is so that they are not persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised, and here's the exposure of their hypocrisy, they do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised. Why? That they may boast in your flesh. So misery loves company. And they were preaching to people. Trying to convert them to Judaism. And this ritualistic, legalistic adherence to the law. As a means of justification. And they just gloried in the numbers of people. That they could get to buy into that false message. And so that was their motivation. But then in verse 14, our text for today says this. But, so this is a contrast between the Judaizers who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who are cowards, they don't want to be persecuted for preaching Christ alone, and they want to boast in the number of converts that they can get over onto their team. He says, That's a contrast between them and me. But far be it from me to boast. So they were boasting in the flesh. They were boasting in the number of converts. And they were protecting themselves, as they thought, from persecution. And that's what they gloried in. That's what they prized. And Paul says, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world... Has been crucified to me. And I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything. Nor uncircumcision. But a new creation. Let me pray with you for just a minute. Father would you help us now in this room. We came in here this morning carrying so many burdens. Challenges of life. Plans. Hopes and dreams. Desires. 
bodily ailments, burdens on our minds. God, we pray this morning that for just a few moments you would capture our hearts and our minds. That you would capture our attention. Rivet them onto your holy words. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would teach us and solidify these truths in our hearts. For your glory, for the glory of Christ, for the preservation and the preaching of the gospel, the expansion of your kingdom, for the good of this church, for the good of future generations. God, we pray this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when we think this morning together about boasting in the cross of Christ, let me just recap briefly, if I can, what we talked about last week out of verse 14. Essentially, the cross of Christ would be the boast of the Apostle Paul because it was at that historical moment when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified that Paul says the world was was crucified to him and him to the world. And it was at this point, at this historical event of the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, that the Apostle Paul would come to the end of self-effort. Paul came to the end of his self-effort to justify himself in the sight of God and trust completely and entirely upon the work of the cross to make him righteous in the sight of God. It was at the cross of Calvary where Jesus died in that historical moment when Paul's sin debt was paid in full. And all of his unrighteousness was paid for with the lifeblood of the Savior. And purchased in that moment of his death, purchased in that moment the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to himself. You see, the righteousness that a Christian has is an imputed righteousness. Meaning, it is accredited to you. It is, a, it is accounted to you, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of Christ's perfect performance. So we receive a foreign to us righteousness when we believe and trust upon Christ alone. And all of that, all of our unrighteousness, all of our sinfulness in our lives is paid in full on the cross. So there's nothing to condemn us for. And there has been established for us in the person of Christ the perfect righteousness that we need to be justified and accepted in the sight of God. And he's going to boast in that. And we took all of last week's message to think about this this number one observation right here. That through the cross, verse 14, through the cross of Christ, Paul was liberated from the present evil age. Paul was liberated from the present evil age. Every person in this room, if you haven't already, and every person you run into on the street, every person in existence needs to be freed from this present evil age. Now, what does he mean by that? He, the reason that I chose that language is because if you look again at verse 14, it's exactly what he is saying when he says, That it's through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, what does he mean that the world is dead to him and him to the world? Well, it doesn't mean the dirt. (laughs) 
He's not liberated from the dirt, the world. So he's using the term world in a different way. He's not talking about the earth that he's liberated from or that he's dead to and it is dead to him. He's talking about the world system, which is evil, the philosophies of the world. And we took great time last week to look and to see how to properly understand the use of that word world. Or as he says in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5, if you recall, he says in his opening greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, that's the crucifixion, who gave himself for our sins. Why? To deliver us from this present evil age. And so the present evil age, the world that is dead to Paul and Paul to the world is a world system that is evil. It is a world of fallen human logic. It is the world of the flesh. The apostle John writes in first John chapter two, talking about all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life or of the world, not of the father. And so it is the world of fallen human logic. It is the world of the flesh that is the world dominated by the desires of the flesh. And every person born in the world is dominated and enslaved to that system. Fallen human logic driven by the passions and the desires of the flesh. And Paul says, I've been liberated from it. And that present evil age that you and I live in today... That world system has a leader. It has a ruler. His name is Satan, the devil. And we looked at those texts that teach us that. First John five nineteen. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The evil one. And so Paul says that he has been liberated from the world. And the world is now dead to him. And him to the world. He's no longer dominated and controlled and limited to fallen human logic. He's no longer enslaved to the desires and the passions of the flesh, seeking for pleasure, seeking for prestige, seeking for money and the things that can be bought with an excessive amount of money. He says, These things I've been liberated from. And now, He has been made righteous in Christ. He no longer is endeavoring to seek through his personal performance in his works to establish himself as righteous. But rather he has by faith received the righteousness that is from God that was purchased on the cross of Calvary. The righteousness of Christ. And now he is free. And we this morning who are Christians, beloved have been set free from this world. And we've been set free to live as liberated sons and daughters of our Creator God and of our risen King. And that was number one. Number two. The second thing that I want us to notice out of verse 15. Turn your attention there. Not only is it through the cross that He is liberated from the present evil age. But if you look at verse 15, through the cross of Christ, Paul became a new creation. A new creation. He says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 
15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new, what? Creation. My friends, something, listen, deeper, something more profound, something even supernatural must happen to you in order for you to be justified and accepted in the sight of God. This is a message that is so scarcely preached in our day and more so understood in our day. In the present modern evangelical world, it is typically thought of that for someone to simply repeat a prayer, to walk an aisle, to check a box, to be baptized in water, to be placed on a membership role of a local church is what it means to be a Christian. But my friends, will you listen to me? It is not. It is not. Something deeper, something more profound, something supernatural has to take place. Paul says, listen to how he words this. Paul says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Well, what does he mean? He's, he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. He's saying that people who are circumcised were the people who were adherents to the law of Moses. Right? That was the circumcised. The uncircumcised represents everybody else. And he says that the people that are circumcised and seeking through their works, their performance of the law to, to earn justification and acceptance and forgiveness in the sight of God, that doesn't mean anything. It counts for absolutely nothing. And he says, oh, by the way, everyone who is uncircumcised, representing all of the other philosophies of the world, it represents all the other world religions that are all works-based, performance-based, rule-keeping-based, code-keeping-based, means of justification to the sight of God. He says, neither one of them counts for anything at all. Why? Because no person (laughs) who is guilty of one sin, can live out the rest of their days doing certain things and not doing other things and erase that sin. No one through law-keeping can get themselves to the place where God says, you finally earned it. And you're righteous in my sight. No. Why? Because there would still be the one speck of pollution and sin that would condemn you in his sight. That make sense? And you and I know <laughs> that we don't just have one. We all have countless sins. And not only that, apart from the grace of God And the mercy of God and the love of God that is in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, we by nature love sin and hate God. (laughs) So a little bit of law keeping, rule keeping, code keeping, 
whether it looks like legalistic Judaism or whether it looks like uh, legalistic Islam, whether it looks like legalistic Buddhism or whether it looks like legalistic Confucianism or whether it looks like legalistic Mormonism or legalistic Jehovah's Witnesses. It doesn't matter what form it takes. They're all seeking through works to get to God. And it's not going to happen. There's not an eternal scale, good and bad. And if you outweigh the bad with the good, you get to go to heaven. That's, that's not the teaching of the Bible. It's not the gospel. Because in reality, my precious friends, the only thing that will be on the scale is bad. Because the Bible says that which is not of faith is sin. <laughs> so everything that people are doing, humanitarian efforts and all, might be good for civilization, might help a poor person get a snack, might help a person with a better shelter, might help a person with some better water, but it can do nothing to change the fundamental problem, and that problem is with our hearts. That problem is deeper than any kind of surface solution. And so Paul says, no, listen, it's not, it's not the circumcision. Look at, that, look at what that counts for. He says, no, that don't count for anything. And it's not, well, I'm uncircumcised. I've got this other religion. He said, that doesn't count either. What does count? Read it, verse 15. What does count? But a new creation. Beloved, fundamentally what has to happen is God has to do a work in your life. God has to do a work in your heart. There must be a fundamental supernatural operation. If you turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5, 17... It's the previous book before Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul again talks about this same reality. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is reminding those churches of Galatia that justification and righteousness before God is not about outward conformity. It's not about behavior modification. It's not conformity to a system or a code or a religious or ceremonialism. It's not about that. It's not about behavior modification or law-keeping or self-effort at all. It's about becoming a new creation. It's about having an operation from God. It's about becoming a new creation in Christ. That through Paul says it was through the cross of Christ that he's become a new creation. Turn over to the book of John. The gospel according to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and than John in the New Testament, the New Covenant. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about to a religious person in his day named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a Jew. He was an Israelite. And he lived his life seeking to obey the law that God gave to him and the other people of Israel through Moses on, on the mountain. He sought by his personal performance to... Be righteous and, and, and maintain that righteousness through law keeping. And Jesus comes along. And I know that, beloved, you have heard people preach on John chapter 3 all of your lives. If you've been in church for any length of time. I know you have. But I want you to think about it with me afresh this morning. 
I want, to, I want you to think about what it would be like to hear the words that we're going to read if it was said to you this morning afresh, if you've never heard them before. So Nicodemus is, is going through life, and here comes this guy named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And this guy can teach like nobody else can teach. He teaches with authority. Even the, the demons obey him when he gives them a command. There's no other guy that's ever done the things that Jesus did. He is able to heal people instantaneously, immediately, and completely. He's able to call the dead back to life. The, the, the blind people that never have seen in their life can see perfectly. The deaf can hear. The lame can walk. No man ever taught or did the things that Jesus of Nazareth did. And Nicodemus comes to him and he says... You know, uh, there's no way that anybody can do what you do unless they come from God. This is John chapter 3. And Jesus answers him in John chapter 3 verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now stop right there. Put yourself there. You're looking into the eyes of this miracle worker. Powerful teacher. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What? Born again? What do you mean? You, you, you mean, I, well, I thought that if I kept the law, you know, I, I, I honor my father and mother and uh, uh, I, I, uh, I don't do any work on the Sabbath day and uh, I, I keep the dietary laws. I, I, I go through all of these rituals, all of these ceremonies. I, I, I recognize all the all the feast days that you set that God set up. He says, "No, no, 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 no. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again." And Nicodemus, just like you would be, just like I would be, hearing those words. What do you mean by that? Born again, verse four. Nicodemus says to him. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's the only way he could hear it. What do you mean born again? I came into the world in this natural way, born with physical life into the world through my mother's womb. You're saying, I can't see the kingdom of God unless I am born again. What do you mean? Am I going to enter again into my mother's womb of an old man and be born again? And Jesus answers him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the what? Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You came into this world through your mother's womb a natural birth. You enter the kingdom of God by a spiritual birth. If you don't have that operation, if, if you don't have that spiritual rebirth so that all things become new and the old is passed away, then all you have is slavery to fallen human logic and passions of the flesh. That's all you have. And Nicodemus should have known this, but he didn't. Because he sought through law-keeping to make himself righteous. 
which cannot be done. Turn to the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, this is the Old Testament. This is the scriptures that Nicodemus and the other religious leaders of Jesus' day, the other rabbis and teachers of the people of Israel, read and meditated on every Sabbath of their existence. But they missed it because they didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear the truth. In Ezekiel 36, I want you to begin reading with me in verse 25 as God makes this promise to his people. I will sprinkle you with what? Clean water. Water and spirit. Water and spirit. Water and spirit. You must be born, Jesus says in John, you must be born of water and spirit. Right? Now listen. I will sprinkle you with clean water. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new what? Spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put what? My spirit. Water and spirit. Water and spirit. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you. Cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. What has to happen, beloved, for a person to enter and see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is they have to be born again. They have to be made a new creation. So you can walk up every, <laughs> you can walk up and down every aisle of every church in America. That's not going to make you born again. You can check off all of the little cards and, and bulletin inserts that says that you want to become a Christian. You can repeat the prayers of every every pastor that tells you to repeat the prayer after them. That is not, in and of itself, the magic pill that makes this happen. But it has to happen in order for you to be justified and accepted in the sight of God. And Paul says that it was, listen, Paul says it was at the cross that he was liberated from this present evil age. Paul said it was at the cross That the reality of him being a new creation was purchased. And that's why he boasts in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now let's go back to Romans and then we'll step back to Galatians and we're done. I want you to see how Paul writes about this reality in Romans 6. Romans 6 verse 4 down to verse 6. Romans 6 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism Into what? Death. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm dead to the world. The world is dead to me. It's the same kind of thought. In Christ, we've been baptized into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead with the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And we walk in newness of life. Not because we seek to modify our behavior through the energy of the flesh, but we, we do walk in righteousness and godliness and holiness and purity, not perfectly, but we seek that and pursue that and do that. Why? Because God has done an operation in our hearts. He's made us new. And now we have new desires. Now we have new affections. Now we have new passions that are godly and Godward in nature. He says, for If we have been united with Him 
in a death like his, what, what, like his, what, what kind of death was Jesus dying? He was dying for sins. If we have been united in a death like his, I, I've been crucified to the world, to that sinful world of human logic and fleshly passions. He says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now listen to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified where? With him. <laughs> in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus died to liberate us from this present evil age. Jesus died to liberate us from the slavery to sin. Jesus died to liberate us from fallen human logic and to make in us, create us anew in Christ to be God lovers, to be righteousness lovers. And now let's go back to Galatians and finish up. So this is what Paul is arguing for. He says, these guys are going to boast. They're going to just brag about their outward performance. They don't want to be persecuted. They want self-preservation and safety is one of their number one goals in life. And they want to make a good show in you who are on their team. He says, but not me. My one boast, my one bragging message is to boast in glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it was on the cross that I died to the present evil age. The fallen human logic has been broken. I'm no longer enslaved to that. The passions of the flesh that drive the people in the world. I'm no longer enslaved to that. And therefore I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I've been raised again with Christ to walk in newness of life. And this newness of life. Galatians 5, 6 is evidenced by spirit-empowered actions of love as we trust and depend upon God. So this is how I want to close. I want you to put your finger on Galatians 5, 6. And then I want you to come back over here to Galatians 6, 15. And I want you to listen to these two verses read back to back. And notice the similarities. And I pray God give you the understanding. Here we go. Going to read, going to read chapter five, verse six, first. I know I said that opposite. Chapter five, verse six. Listen to what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Sound familiar? But what's the alternative? But only faith working through love. Okay, now turn over to chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. Sound familiar? But, what is the alternative? A new creation. It's two ways to say the same thing, right? Circumcision doesn't count. Uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. But faith working through love. Circumcision doesn't count. Uncircumcision doesn't count. But a new creation. Beloved, what is he saying? He's saying that in the cross of Calvary, Jesus died for sinners. He died to purchase a bride. He died to save a people out of this corrupted, fallen world for himself to display his grace, to display his love, to display his mercy. 
And those people are going to come into that reality and that reality will be appropriated to them when they hear the truth of the gospel that it's not through self-effort, no matter what form it takes, but it's by repenting and turning away from sin and trusting in Christ alone and what he did on the cross to justify and to save you in the sight of God. And when you hear that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you believe upon him with your heart and you trust in him. You are, in fact, a new creation that has new desires, new affections, new passions that are godly and Godward. And that gives rise to a life that is called newness of life or Galatians 5, 6 is evidenced by spirit empowered actions of love as we trust and depend upon God. Let me pray with you. Father, we ask you this morning to turn on the lights in the hearts and minds of every soul in this room. To see and know and understand completely. To feel the weight of their current state in your sight. And God, we pray for those, first of all, that would see that state and understand that it is one of unrighteousness and guilty in your sight. And in that moment, you would show them by that inward apprehension, that heart of hearts, the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ bearing the weight of the guilt of sinners. And God, you would draw them and call them to repent and believe. And Lord, if we can in our heart of hearts today, Understand and know that we are, in fact, righteous in your sight. Not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of Christ alone and what he accomplished. That we are, in fact, righteous. We pray that you would fill our hearts with godly and Godward passions, desires, and affection. And help us, O oh God, to live, to boast, And that one thing, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.